What's going on, everybody? Wesley Shoemaker, Aaron Parker, back with you today, Blue Gold Sports Podcast. Whew. Um, three weeks ago, I didn't think we would be sitting here having the podcast for about a half. Um, a lot of, a lot, of, a lot to talk about. Um, all on the football end, obviously. Um, West Virginia loses at home to Kansas. I didn't think I'd say those words. I didn't think I'd say those words this year, especially how this team looked after playing to Pitt. But now a lot of question marks are in the air. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of speculation. What is the future of this team this year? What is the future of Neil Brown with this team? What is the future of Neil Brown going forward after maybe even this week? Who knows? There's a lot, a lot, a lot to talk about. And we are going to get into it. Aaron, happy Wednesday morning. Uh, four days later. Loss still sucks. Um, just kind of your thoughts on the game in general before we get into specifics. What, not really what you liked, but obviously not really what you disliked either because the defense and offense, it's pretty two easy answers there. But mm -hmm. just kind of your general thoughts on this team 0-2 right now and what you think has to change going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's a very embarrassing loss. I don't care. I don't really care how much Kansas has improved. I know. Lance Weepold or, you know, Kansas' coach, he's done a good job, but it's a very demoralizing loss at home. Um, you know, as far as what I see is just like the defensive personnel is just – it's not very good. And um, I think Neil Brown and Jordan Leslie are, are going to get some new guys in there, um, get some younger guys some chances. And, you know, honestly, at this point, why not try it? Um, and another thing is just cleaning up procedure penalties because they're late in the game. you got fourth and one probably going to score there to get a procedure penalty. You know, you, you look at that and, you know, if you don't have that, then the Mountaineers are probably trying to score to win the game at the end and not trying to tie it for overtime. So procedure penalties are annoying and, you know, it's been going on for three or four years now. Yeah, let's talk about penalties real quick. Um, I'll go back to Pitt even. Uh, There's a couple times there, third and short, fourth and short at Pitt, false start, White Mile moves it back. Um, mm -hmm. then on And then on Saturday, just penalties in general – Taj Austin in overtime, like, what are we doing? Um, procedure penalties inside the red zone. Like, this team was really efficient against Pitt inside the red zone. Saturday, not so much with punching the ball in for six. That's that's a problem that's got to change, obviously. Um, biggest thing for me with this defense is it seems like there's a lack of speed to the ball. Um, I just felt like they are not – they're more reactionary than – trying to make a play I think they're letting the play come to them rather than trying to be the play that is made if that makes sense I think that especially the secondary although they are younger yes there is a they are waiting for something to happen rather than making something happen and I think this team that's why you're struggling to tackle the ball tackle people because they are letting these guys get out in space they're letting these guys kind of dictate what they want to do rather than you on defense dictating what you want to do um, Neil Brown yesterday on Tuesday in his weekly press conference said there are going to be some young guys in the secondary that are going to get some work. Obviously, Charles Woods is going to be out again. He did not play against Kansas, did not will not play against Towson this week. And Neil Brown said he will give a longer term update on Woods soon. I would assume next week before Virginia Tech. So that doesn't sound good. Uh, he was your preseason All Big Twelve cornerback. Uh, now you have. 
Andrew Wilson Lamp, Malachi Ruffin, those guys getting some play, but they're young guys. Um, Aubrey Burks, Hershey McLaurin, they got to be better according to this coaching staff. Rashad Ajayi, Wesley McCormick, obviously they played what they can do, but they've, they've also got to be better. I feel like this defense kind of had to play soft early. They were without McCormick in the first half due to his targeting call in the fourth quarter of the pit game. And I just feel there's not a lot of playmakers on that back end that have made plays. I think they have shown that they have experience, but there's a difference between having experience and then going and making plays. And let's be honest, Kansas's weapons on the outside, their receivers, their playmakers, they're not going to be the best playmakers you face. When you head into Austin in two weeks, there's going to be some dudes there. When you head, when you play Baylor on the 13th of October on that Thursday night, like there's going to be some dudes on that on the outside. So if you can't if you have if Kansas scores 55 points on you and 49 on your defense, that's a problem, especially as you look at the Big 12 and how many playmakers there are in wide receiver rooms and how much speed there is on these offenses. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean the the secondary was two steps behind for about every play against I mean against Kansas. Um, you know, that's that's concerning. Um, they're two steps behind a lot against Pitt, a lot of over the middle stuff. Just simple, like dumping it to the tight end against Kansas. It worked all night. There was no answer for it. So the secondary is an issue that I think is going to um, plague this Mountaineer team maybe all year unless something gets changed. But um, when we're just looking at Kansas, obviously the secondary was bad. But I didn't like I didn't like the linebacker play either. Um uh, I, I took a, a brief look at the pro football focus ratings. I don't remember all of them, but, I mean, nobody really graded out well. I think the best one was maybe Lee Koba, um, you know. Um, and the linebacker play, I thought, against Pitt was pretty good. And we got some talented guys there. But, um, you know, if we're going to pinpoint, you know, the, the secondary, too, I, you know, I do think they're the main problem. Um, but, you know, the linebackers, and there's no sacks on the defensive end. So, I mean, it was a group effort on the defense um, not being there on Saturday. But, um, you know, I'm confident that the D-line and the linebackers can get it going next week and the week after. Um, but I'm not really sure about the secondary. And let's be honest here. Let's give credit where credit is due. Kansas' quarterback, Jalen Daniels, he was a stud on Saturday. He was in full control from the beginning. He, um, he, he knew when he had to throw. He knew when he had to tuck it. He knew how to keep that offense moving. I felt like there was never a point for Kansas where they were struggling or where they were worried about the down and distance. I feel like they always had first and manageables. They always then turned that into second down and short or third down and short. They never got behind after first down. And I feel like that really helped them because they had their whole play call open and West Virginia's defense has to be better on the fly. Um, yes. Kansas did a lot of motion, a lot of change, but that's, that's not, that's not an excuse for giving up 49 points to to Kansas on their home field. Um, it was a good crowd. Uh, night game, like the energy was there. I just feel like the energy never translated to the to on the field. I think that especially you talk about the linebacker player, and there was times I feel there were just so much space. There was never mm-hmm. a guy, a hat. Like they never swarmed anybody. There was always guys in space for Kansas getting to run. And you can't let that happen if it's Towson, if it's Kansas, if it's Alabama. So going forward, they've got to get stuff changed. Jordan Leslie knows it. This defense knows it. It's just a matter of how quickly you can get things changed, how quickly you can get these new guys, these young guys up to speed, and how quickly you get these FCS guys 
uh, to realize it's not the FCS level. This is big boy football. You've got to go make big boy plays. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no excuses at this point. Um, you know, you can make the argument that, you know, they're not used to playing in this environment. Well, the coaching staff, you know, went out and recruited these guys um, and they're talented, but, you know, to they named them the starters. Um, you know, they had faith in them to be the starters game one and game two against Kansas. Um, so they got to they got to get them ready for for big boy football, for uh, Big 12 football, um, because that was their first taste of the Big 12. And it was Kansas. I mean, you got to go to Austin. You got to play Baylor. You got to play, um, you know. Texas Tech is, is getting better. Iowa State, it's a good conference, and it's not going to get any easier. So, um, you know, if if there's somebody better that's a true freshman, then I think I think you need to play him. And I think Neil has, you know, come out and said that, um, you know, he's going to get guys like Mumu Ben-Wahad and, you know, um, guys like that looks. I know Davis Maldrish played a lot too. Um, he's a registered freshman. Saturday as well, yep. Yeah. He, didn't, he didn't grade out very well either. Um, so, I don't know if a younger guy – um, gets his chance and, and proves himself, then he might be in the starting rotation. I also think this defensive line has to be better. Yeah, it's a dual threat quarterback, but dang, like th this defense the last three years has kind of made their mark, if you want to say, on the defensive line. And you got guys like Dante Stills, like Taj Austin, like Sean Martin. Like they've got to make plays. Obviously, Sean Martin, the staff is really high on. He's going to be getting more playing time, according to Neil Brown. But if you're calling cards, your defensive line and your defensive line can't get to the quarterback or can't cause problems, like it's one thing if you don't get a sack. It's another thing if you don't get a sack and you don't even get close. And I feel like this defense was never really close with the exception of maybe once or twice. And that's a problem. They played really well. Dante played really well against um, Pitt, but his name wasn't called until the third quarter. So it, it's – there's a part of me that wants to say this defense can get it fixed because they looked well, like they looked good against Pitt, especially when stopping the run. But there's another part of me, like maybe stopping the run then was a fluke. Maybe because Pitt was more predictable because they didn't have the dual threat quarterback. Like what happens if another quarterback can run? What happens when you go to Oklahoma or you have to fucking, sorry, excuse me, have to play Baylor? Like there's just so much speed in this conference and I don't see how this defense gets, gets it fixed. Yeah, I'm not sure. As you know, talking about the defensive line, they gotta step up and take ownership. Um, they played well against Pitt, but like you said, they didn't get a sack. They didn't even really come close to getting a sack. Um, I think, I mean, it starts with them. Um, you got leaders like Dante Stills, Todd Austin. They they've been there, done that for four or five years now. Um, and when you're playing a team like Kansas, you gotta you gotta start with that pressure, um, because I think we all know the secondary is gonna be the Achilles heel. Well, I mean, against Pitt, the secondary didn't really get. I mean, they got exposed a little bit, but, I mean, Keaton Slovis was kind of running for his life there for a little bit. Um, so, for a while in that game, we are like, okay, the defense is, is playing well. But it was really a lot of the defensive line. So, if they're not getting things started, um, then guys like Daniels, who can run around and, and find the open man, he's going to expose the secondary. Yeah, and I think that's why it starts with the defensive line there. They got to they gotta get pressure. They got to get to the quarterback. Otherwise – it's going to be a long day for a young secondary and linebackers who have not played with each other. Uh, moving on to the offensive side of the ball. Overall, I think they looked really good. I think mm -hmm. JT Daniels, especially in that first half, he was nearly perfect. Um, if you don't muff that punt, you win the game. Uh, if you don't have a procedure penalty inside the red zone at fourth and one at the one, like you win the game. So 
there's so many ifs, ifs, ifs. And I think the problem is, is that there's a lot of ifs every single time out for this team. And it's a matter of when the ifs will not be an if and they will just get something done and win a big game or win a game they're supposed to win. You're supposed to win the game that you just played on Saturday. Yeah. Um, win a big game. You're like you had the chance to go beat Pitt, your rival Pitt on the road. You couldn't do that. So before we get into the whole bigger picture thing, just like this offense had so many chances and they kept this team in the game. And then unfortunately the two turnovers, the pick six obviously sealed it. And then the muffed punt changed the game. It absolutely did. I mean, if you would have told me if, if I wouldn't have watched the game and you would have told me, Hey, Mountaineer scored 42 points against Kansas at home and they punted the ball a total of one time. I've been like, okay, they won by two or three scores, right? No. no. So, I mean, you, we can keep beating a dead horse with the defense, but um, you know, the offense was good overall. I thought they played a good game, but you know, there were some things where it's like, if you don't do that offense or special teams, Mountaineers win the game. And obviously you can pinpoint that Reese Smith muff punt. Um, you know, JT Daniels played a heck of a game, you know, 365 yards, three touchdowns, but, you know, that wasn't a good throw in overtime. Um, and, you know, I, I've already said it once or twice, but the procedure penalty, I mean, it's fourth and one. Like, is there a possibility Kansas stops you at fourth and one? Yeah, but it's not very likely. So and I'm thinking the Mountaineers score. Stop you, then they're pinned all the way back. Like, Yeah, and they're probably not going to stop a C.J. Donaldson or, you know, get the line behind J.T. Daniels and run. So after that stop against Kansas, WVU's looking to win the game, but instead they're looking for a, mir a miraculous touchdown and a two-point conversion to even send the game to overtime. So, you know, procedure penalties are something that's happened for four years, and that's what I'm going to pinpoint when we're looking at just the offense. But um, I think you can make a, a good point to me to maybe get a different punt returner out there too um, because – and Neil was – Neil Brown was kind of arguing with the officials that Reese Smith got touched um, before the ball made contact. But I don't – I went back and looked, and it was close, but I didn't see any contact. Um, Reese Smith's got to catch that ball. All summer long we've heard – Sam James, Sam James, Sam James, returning punts, returning punts, returning punts. Didn't see him. Uh, it was just Reese Smith out there. Um, I just think that you're hearing one thing, we're getting another. And you shouldn't be muffing punts. Yes, it's raining. Yes, they're coming after you. But it, you caught a fair catch. You should catch that ball. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the difference between winning games and losing games. Uh, JT Daniels looked really good. Bryce Ford Wheaton, phenomenal day. Mm -hmm. um, I've been impressed. I was really impressed with how he responded. Obviously, he could come out, especially after that drop. He forgot about it. He showed that. He made – there were some tough catches he made on third down, fourth down that kept this game alive for West Virginia. Um, he got knocked around a couple times too, still made catches. He had that one really good screen pass, run after the catch, made two guys miss at the line of scrimmage, and then just used his speed to get downfield. Um if he keeps this up, there might be some serious Bolitnikoff conversation when it comes down to October, November as one of the best five, ten receivers in the country because he seriously – he has all the skills and he has the quarterback talent to do so. JT I've been really impressed with, not just him on the field, but him off the field. I think that he's shown he's a true leader. He's shown that he knows what it takes to be a leader. He knows what it takes to win, and he knows how close this team is. I think he's not taking any excuses, and he's not – um, he's not giving any blame to anyone else. He knows that he's the quarterback and he's going to take full responsibility and embrace what that position means. But he is a true professional. He is a true leader. He is a winner. Um, and he's going to win this team some games, I really do think. 
Um, no matter how bad this start is, I don't want to. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, I, I've really liked what I've heard from JT um, with the Pitt post game, the Kansas post game, and um, he talked to the media last week. Um, he's a leader, and, you know, you could tell he's a leader. Um, I think they interviewed Bryce Ford Wheaton. Um, I think that was after the Kansas game, and he talked about his leadership. Um, he's, I think Bryce said he's, he's uh, got a contagious kind of mindset. Um, and JT, I mean, he's a winner. He won a lot in high school, uh, didn't lose at Georgia, was really good at USC, and he's not accustomed to losing. So um, I'm sure he didn't want um, – like, he's not satisfied with the results, but, I mean, he's played two really good games with the exception of the pick six there at the end. Um, and he's gonna try. He's gonna try his best to rally the troops. And when we go to Bryce Ford Wheaton, I mean, Blinnikoff talk is. I mean, that's not out of the question. I think he's making a real argument to be an NFL receiver. He's making. What did Neil say yesterday? I think he said that Bryce Ford Wheaton has the like, the highest contested catch rate in college football right now. Yep. Um, he made some really good catches against Pitt. Obviously, the one kind of haunting drop there. But, um, you know, he's a dog out there, and you know, he's. Um, getting yards after contact, you know, you know he's housing it, um, and he's running good routes. So those those two players are going to get you some wins, but um, you know you got to get production from other levels because two players can't win you a football game all the time. What I what I will say though is that I've been impressed how kind of the other receivers have also been. Sam James, good day Saturday. Caden Prather, good day. Um, those guys have to step up, and especially if teams start to look at Bryce and JT and be like, okay, 0-1, let's stop, let's stop BFW, make the other guys beat us. KP mm -hmm. and Sam James know that, and they know that teams are going to probably start doing that sometime here soon, and it's up to them to figure it out and help their quarterback and help their offense out, and I think they can. And I think Graham Harrell also with those running backs, he knows he has to run the ball. Um, all three running backs, CJ Donaldson, Tony Mathis, and Justin Johnson all got touches, and they all played snaps. Um, it was more of a, a, to me, a kind of drive to drive. Look, I think one drive I counted CJ Donaldson got seven touches in total between passing and running. And I think it was six because one was a penalty, but you get the point that he's, he's kind of working his way more into a, a dual threat role rather than just a pure hard runner. And I think that's what we expect from him because he has that versatility. I'll, I'll, I'll be interested to see when they kind of go into, um, if they go into like these two back sets kind of run play action off of that, how they use him. And I've been impressed with how he's done in press pass protection as well. Um, been impressed with that too. And this offensive line played well against Kansas. I think they, um, they kept JT Daniels upright for the most part and they gave him time to make the throws and he made the th those throws that they needed him to make. Yeah. They played well outside of just, you know, a couple penalties there late, but as far as protection, I thought they did a good job when talking about CJ Donaldson. Yeah. I mean, he's getting, I mean, he's, he started so good, so it's hard to say he's getting better, but, like, he is getting better. And I think they've, they've asked uh, Graham Harrell about it, um, and I think Graham was a little concerned about, like, he's you know, he's a tight end, he's a wide receiver, so it's like I think he was concerned about his pass protection, but he hasn't missed a block hardly at all this season. I don't think he's missed a block at all this season. So, um, you know, he's shown that he's a true running back. Um, obviously, he's still not carrying the load of a one just because he gets winded. I think Graham was talking about that yesterday. Um, you know, but he's shown that, you know, he can be a big power back that can also, um, you know, take hits and run. Um, and also, when you're talking, also north of 250 pounds, so it's yeah, he's to go out boy. there every time and just get, like deliver a pounding, like that's exhausting on him too. And, and he's very fast for 250, 255. I mean, 
Um, and like you said, the you're interested about the you know kind of two back sets. I remember seeing a couple of those against Kansas, whereas um, Mathis and Donald's in the backfield, and there was a couple of plays down the stretch where I saw Polindi and um, Michael Laughlin in there too, so a two tight end set. Um, so I'll be interested to see you know what kind of um, plays Graham Harrell will you know bring out of his pocket. Yeah, it was cool. To, I think that um, Polindi was used a lot more towards the goal line, but. I saw Mike O moving a lot on offense, which is obviously good to see after the ACL last year. Just him kind of being used more than plays he's directly involved in, I think is good because it shows that he's ready and he's completely 100% good to go. Um, let's talk bigger picture now. Um, 0 and 2 for the first time since 1979. Um, obviously, this week you got to win. Um, FCS school, you got to then go beat VT and you got to be two and two heading into the heart of your conference schedule. I just think that if you're not, there's like, if, if you're Neil Brown and you're not two and two heading into October, I don't think you have a job. I just think that, I don't think there's enough patience within this program that it's here for and you lose to Kansas and a bad Virginia tech team. I will say this though. I'm a big fan of Neil Brown. I think that he has done a phenomenal job with what he's been given. I think when he came here in 2019, there was not much to work with and he's developed some guys. He's recruited really well as we've seen in the 23 uh, class and how it's the, one of the highest ranks, ranking classes in West Virginia history. I just think that at some point for everyone, not just him, just like you have a sub 500 record as a head coach right now and people are going to be asking for a change sooner or later. So do I really hope that Neil Brown gets this thing turned around? Yes. Do I deep down think he can? Yes, but I think it has to start, and I think you have to see a significant difference this week. I don't think, when I say significant difference, here's what I mean. I don't think there's going to be a significant difference in on-field results because you can't really see a significant difference when you go from a Power 5 opponent to an FCS opponent. However, you can see a significant difference when it comes to effort, when it comes to attitude, when it comes to how you attack, how you attack on offense, how you attack on defense. And he gave a speech, like he kind of talked yesterday about how he knows it's on us, how they're not in a spot, but how they've got to focus in and be better. And there's one thing if you keep going out and saying all these things. He said a lot of things. He said a lot of good things. It's another thing if you come out after you are down on the mat right now and do what you got to do this week, go win a rivalry game in eight days from now. And then you're two and two heading into conference play against Texas who will have their backup quarterback in that game. No Quinn yours. And then you have a shot to be three and two return home night game Baylor. So I really hope he turns it around. I think he can, but Man, is he in a rough spot right now. And, man, if you want to talk about hot seats in college football, Scott, Scott Frost got fired this week. 
Scott Frost was the guy for Nebraska. He went to Nebraska, played Nebraska. Like when he got hired after leaving UCF, everyone thought that man, he's going to turn Nebraska around. He's out. I think Neil Brown probably has a pretty warm seat right now. If you want to talk about hot seats in college football. Yeah, there's no doubt that seat is warm. I mean, you said you're a fan of Neil Brown, and you know, I, I kind of I've been a Neil Brown defender for the past however many years. I really enjoy listening to his press conferences. He always says the right thing. I mean, and even yesterday, he came in with a stern tone. Um, you know, was he took accountability for all for all this going on? He says the right things, but you know, how many how many times has WV been right there? Um, and not got it done. I mean, just off the top of my head, the COVID season at Texas Tech, that's a game the Mountaineers shouldn't have lost. 21 against Texas Tech, homecoming game. You show up and you no-show, and then you try to come back. You know, Oklahoma last year, that game was right there, and you play not to lose, Pitt and Kansas. There's just too many times that the Mountaineers have been right there, and they just didn't get it done. And you can pinpoint a couple plays, but it's like, man, this this falls back on coaching. You know, a muff punt. A procedure penalty, another procedure procedure penalty, snapping the ball past the uh, uh roughing the, the passer when you roughing the passer in overtime in yeah. because the play is over. Yeah, yeah, and snapping the ball when the quarterback's not looking when you almost have a game wrapped up. There's just too many times the Mountaineers have lost solely because of something that goes back to coaching. And obviously, hit. I mean. Neil Brown can't change, like, the results of Bryce Ford Wheaton's drop, but, I mean, he could have gone for it on fourth and one. I mean, I'm not saying that that loss is all on him, but there's too many times that we can pinpoint where it's like, you know, coaching staff needed to get it done here, um, and they just didn't. And there's been five or six games in the last two or three years, so that's too many. Here's what I'll say about last year and the year before. This whole playing not to lose talk, that's what I'll call it. Um, you can play not to lose, but you can also play – I think playing not to lose and playing to win are two different things, but I think there is a middle ground. And I think that when you have a talent gap, like you're on the road at Oklahoma, there's some things that you got to do differently, I think. I think mm -hmm. there's some – like that first drive against Oklahoma, it was a long drive. They ran the play clock down. They ran the ball. And then they scored a touchdown. So there's things like that, like clock management and games that you can say it's playing not to lose if you're not going fast. But there's also like, all right, we don't have the most talented team in the world. That The quarterback of that team is currently the backup quarterback at Troy. It is his third school in the last year. So let's if you want to talk about talent, there, there's a talent difference. Because the quarterback of that Oklahoma team is now starting for a team in the SEC in South Carolina. So – I get people saying he's playing not to lose against Pitt. Like, he should have gone for it. But, like, hindsight's always twenty twenty when it comes to these things. And it's all also that in the moment, there's analytics that go into these, these things. Like, you you did what you were supposed to do. You pinned Pitt inside their tent on that punt. They had to go the length of the field and score a touchdown. So, did they do that? Yeah. So, you got to give credit to them there. Um. I just think for what he's building, if you let him go now, the last three years mean nothing. Because if he goes, the recruiting class goes. If he goes, 
a lot of these guys on the staff. Graham Harrell, like, what? who's next? Graham Harrell? Jordan Leslie? Like, you don't know. Um, and also then there's the argument of who will you be able to hire that is better than Neil Brown? Because I don't think Jimbo's leaving AM, even though they just lost to App State. No. Um, it's not like you're getting Nick Saban rolling in here, rolling back home. Um, I don't know who you'll get that's better than Neil Brown. You'll lose recruiting classes, and then you would have just wasted the last three and a half years. And yes, I get the fans that say, this, we got to win. We're a top 15 program and all-time wins yes yes i get that and i know this team wants to win but you can't give up on a coach just because he started 0-2 and he lost by one possession on the road and then loses because of a muffed punt it's not neil brown's fault he muffed that punt it's it really isn't um if he catches that punt west virginia probably wins that game so it's not neil brown's fault that there's a false start penalty. Yes, there can be coaching to do that, but it's not directly his fault that that happens. But the buck has to stop with someone. I think Neil Brown yesterday really did take responsibility, and he realized and he realizes the position he's in. He realizes the position this team's in. They're not where they want to be. Everyone knows that. They could easily be 2-0 right now, and I think that's the most frustrating part, and you heard that from almost everyone who spoke yesterday. So this team has a chance to – just start 1-0 this week and just try and go 1-0 each and every day. And if they can do that, they'll be fine. Um, yes, it's a hard schedule. Yes, they've still got to play some tough games, but I don't think a coaching change is the right decision for this team. Yeah, yeah, I've been a fence sitter over the past couple of days, but, I, you know, just thinking realistically, I don't, it's, I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, you know, like the, the point you brought up, if you fire Neil Brown, who are you going to get that's better? Um, as far as pulling coaches, you're not going to get anybody, and you're going to have to promote either Leslie or Graham Harrell and not a knock on those. But, like, if you promote Jordan Leslie to head coach, you might not win another ball game because um, look at our defense. And Graham Harrell, you know, he's air raid, and he might have a good future, but, you know, is he ready to be a head coach? Yeah, probably not. Neil Brown has proved that he can be a good coach. Um, you know, so that's I – mean, I just and the buyout's too big. I just don't think it's going to happen, um, no matter how many fans want it to happen. Um, and you know what he inherited here was not good. That 2019 was team was simply not talented, um, and not talented enough to play in the Big 12 um, and compete. Uh, last year's team, I know Jared Davey, you know, is you know he's at Troy and he's been at a couple of schools, um, but I thought I thought the Mountaineers had a better team last year. Obviously, they weren't as talented as Oklahoma. As we you don't go back, think last year's team is better than this year's team, do you? No, I, talent wise, no, I do not. But I think the 21 team was talented enough um, to win more than six ball games. Um, but you know, you know, when you don't have a very good quarterback leading your team, it's it's kind of hard. So um, I, I get that, and I get the 2020 season as well. Um, you know, but he got a lot of talent on this team, um, and so eventually, eventually, this the losing to opponents that are not as good as you or, you know, losing to teams that you have on the ropes, eventually that needs to stop, especially with a team that has a receiver that might go for the Blitnikoff, a, a quarterback in JT Daniels, and a strong front and experienced front. So I think it's got to stop at some point. But, you know, the fire Neil Brown talk, um, it's just 
looking at it as if I'm saying lines, I just it's just not gonna happen. Yeah. Too I, much money. Too much money, too much, too much change. I think it is a it's firing a coach is a drastic change. And it means you're waving a white flag. And I don't think they're ready to wave the white flag with this coaching staff. And I'm not ready to wave the white flag either. Like I just think that there's still opportunity to do some things this year. And that's the best thing you could ask for. You only, all you can ask for in life and football and sports is an opportunity. And this team has 10 more opportunities to go play their butts off. Starts this Saturday. Hopefully they get that done. Um, Then it moves on to Virginia Tech. And if you can win those two games, um, I mean, in fairness, Aaron, let's let's be honest here, right? When we talked pre-pit and we talked schedule, right? If we said this team can be two and two at the end of September, that's not the worst thing in the world, right? We just said we just didn't think. Yeah, we didn't think it'd be. Campy, we didn't think but, it'd be yeah. one possession loss to yeah. Pitt, and we didn't think it'd be losing to Kansas at home. So. You can still be two and two. It might not be the prettiest two and two in the world, but you can still be two and two and riding a two-game win streak heading into Austin. And this team's played well against Texas. They beat them last year. Year before they played them up, like they went to Austin and played them tough. So the opportunity is there. I think that's all you can ask for. You got 10 more games. This team, I think, is still bought in. I think the leaders know. We talked to Zach Frazier yesterday. He knew. Um, talked to Caden Brayther yesterday. He knew. Talked to Bryce Forbeat on Saturday. He knows. Like, this team knows. Um, it's just a matter of then taking this opportunity and running with it. Hopefully they go 1-0 this Saturday, go 1-2 on the season, go into Virginia Tech, and this this new coaching staff talk is behind us. But nothing's, nothing's ever guaranteed in sports, and so we just got to wait and find out. Yeah, I mean, you you want the team to go, you know, two and two headed into Austin, and it, it's a it's very realistic, um, and it's not the worst thing in the world. But starting zero and two, um, you just put yourself in a bad spot when you um, look at this Big Twelve schedule, um, especially losing to Kansas and losing a game by one possession. But that's looking at it pessimistic, um, and you know they have a chance to go one another this week. They have a chance to win a road game, win a, a rivalry game, and get some momentum going into Texas um, and Austin. And, you know, I think that, you know, like you said, the players know it. Um, you know, when you listen to JT Daniels, um, this is before the Kansas game, they asked him about some plays with Pitt. But, man, he was like – he answered the question like he's supposed to. But then he's like, you know, after that, you know, put it behind us and we move on. And I think he's going to do the same thing with Kansas. Um, and that's why, you know, if you're a Mountaineer fan, you can maybe not have confidence, but maybe rest assured that the leaders of this team are going to go out and – not think back to Pitt or Kansas. They're going to think about going 1-0. Um, so if the Mountaineers can go into Austin 2-2, two and two, um, then, I mean, you can't give up on this season, especially when you got leaders like that um, that know how to be poised and know how to be even keel. And you can't give up on the season when you have the offensive talent to stay in games. And mm-hmm. I think that that's the biggest thing is that it's not like this team is not talented. This team has some serious talent on both sides of the ball, in fairness. You just gotta you just gotta figure it out and it's gotta come together. And did we expect it to come together in week one? No. Did we expect them to beat Kansas though? Yes. So week three, week four, 
that's that's three games, four games in. You've got to have, especially that defense, start to come together, start to figure things out. I think that this team has taken ownership of where they are and where they stand, and that they're just going to try and work their butts off to just to try and win as many games as possible. And I'm not giving up on this team. I'm not giving up on this coaching staff because you just can't do that yet. Um, you've got to you've got to try and keep them keep them where you're at and just keep doing what you do and hopefully the wins will come because if we're being honest it's small things that's been the difference this year between wins and losses yeah and that's how it goes that's the that's how the game of football goes and you know, I don't want to give up on, I'm not giving up on this team and um I don't want to give up on the coaching staff but you know it's, it's time to see results I you know obviously nobody knows that more than Neil Brown um nobody's more frustrated than Neil Brown but you know it's time to see the results, and I think I think some good results will will come out of the season, um, you know. But you know, if you go into Austin one and three, you know, it's going to be really really hard to salvage a season. But you know, we can't look that far ahead yet. Um, you know, if you're the Mountaineers, you got to look to the next game, look at playing your best against Towson and, and getting some momentum some momentum going into a rivalry game, because you've already lost one rivalry game and you don't want to go into. Um, you got anything else? No, that? I think we covered covered each base all right uh moving on picks 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 um last week i went one and three aaron went two and two on the season uh aaron is four and three and i am three and four we got five games on the slate this week we will hit the west virginia game last with scores for that one um i'll start here for me um, Oklahoma, Nebraska. We talked a little bit briefly, very briefly about Nebraska. Um, firing their head coach, new coach at home rivalry game. It was close last year. Um, I really want to pick Nebraska just because I think that these kind of emotional games, when you have a new coach, teams usually try and back their coach. Um, but I just think at the end of the day, the Sooners will be too much. Yeah, Oklahoma. I'm not really thinking twice about it. Um, yeah. They got a good team, and, you know, I know Nebraska has a passionate fan base, and they're ready to see winning, but I don't think it'll be enough. BYU-Oregon. Uh, BYU beat Baylor at home late, double overtime, I believe, uh, this past week. Oregon, tough loss to Georgia week one, took care of business last week. Game is in Autzen, uh, 12.30 kick Pacific time, 3.30 kick Eastern time. I'm going to take the Ducks. Uh, emotional win for BYU last week at home. Going to Eugene is a tough, tough place to play. Um, it gets loud there, real loud. I think Bo Nix is going to shine, and I will take Oregon. Yeah, I want to go BYU. I really like BYU, but the, the same reason you said, I just, you know, it's an emotional win um, to come off that and immediately go to Austin Stadium. I just, I like the Ducks here. Um, not really high on Bo, Bo Nix, but I, I will go Oregon. Miami, Texas A&M, Texas A&M. Lost to App State last week at home. Um, I'll take Texas a I just think that they're going to have something to prove. Big target on their back. Um, they're going to be focused. Give me Texas a Yeah, I'm going A&M. You know, I know they lost to App State, but App State's a pretty good football team. They should have beat UNC. They should have two quality wins. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go A&M. I like Jimbo Fisher here. I don't think Miami's um, rated properly. Penn State Auburn. It is in Auburn. Last year they played a really good game. 
Obviously, a different Auburn team this year than last, different Penn State team this year than last. For the sake of things, and I know you're going to pick Penn State, I'm going to go with Auburn here just to kind of get a little bit of difference here. Uh, so I will take Auburn at home. Don't really have a reason, just taking Auburn. Yeah, so this might be an ignorant pick because I don't know much about either squad. I, I would like to go Auburn because not not too big on Penn State, but I just don't know anything about them. They have a new quarterback, um, kind of a newer coach. So I'm just going to go Penn State. Then for this weekend's game, West Virginia Towson, uh, I'm going to take the Mountaineers. Uh, you're going to be in SES school at home. Um, as for scores, I think Towson scores 10 points. And I think, actually, give me Towson 14. And then I will say West Virginia, West Virginia wins. 50, can't do math, 52 to 14 Mountaineers. Again, our, our, our prediction is pretty close. I'm going to go 59-13. I'm going to say Townsend gets in the end zone once. 59-13? And, yeah, and then two field goals. Um, All right. And the Mountaineers offense dominates. Well, um, that's it for our picks this week. If you made it this far, we do appreciate you listening. If you're on YouTube watching us, be sure to click that subscribe button. Give us a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you may listen. Um, I'm Leslie Shoemaker, joined by Aaron Parker. If you'd like to see more of our content, be sure to head over to bluegoldsports.com, B-L-U-E-G-O-L-D-S-P-O-R-T-S, bluegoldsports.com. Once again, thank you for listening. I'm Leslie Shoemaker, joined by Aaron Parker. This is the Blue Gold Sports Podcast.